Hey guys, Joe Miles here with Osseo Gear. This is the Mission Whitetail Podcast. We're going to be doing a deep dive into what it truly takes to kill these mature bucks. We're going to step outside the box and look at the why for gear, tactics, training, and more importantly, the mindset from over 35 years of chasing these magnificent animals all over North America. Thank you for following along and welcome to Mission Whitetail. All right, guys, welcome back to the Mission Whitetail podcast. Got a really cool guest with us today, Dan Kaufman from Ohio. I actually went up and hunted with Dan a couple weeks ago. He's got some incredible properties. Got to know Dan pretty well over that week. Uh, we've got a ton in common, uh, like a lot of you guys listening, and, and us, me and Kevin here, Dan is is addicted to the process of uh, whitetail hunting and especially big deer uh, you know, there, there are few humans to ever walk the planet that have uh, much less seen a 300-inch whitetail, but actually have killed one. And uh, a lot of you guys know Dan, but but for you guys that don't, Google the Kaufman buck and take a look at it. It's a 300-inch whitetail. And again, I, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think there's only been four or five <coughs> bow kills um, of 300-inch deer. Is that is that accurate? Yes, you have um, basically me and Mike Beatty out of Ohio, and then you have, um, let's see, I know a lot of people know the name Stephen Tucker, but he was a muzzleloader. Um, you have, um, goodness, why can't I think of his name? Um, he's down, from down around you. He lives, uh, I want to say he's Virginia, maybe. The Bruce, uh, Brewster, boy. is that it? Or Brewster, 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 yep. Yep, Luke Brewster, the Brewster Buck. He's number one now. Um, and whew, I think I'm missing a couple, but uh, but it's, it's yeah. less than a handful. I mean, it's not very yeah, many. It's, so it's not very many at all. You, you know, guys talk now about about 300. In, I mean, about 200 inch deer, and it's just it's unthinkable to kill a wild, you know, 300 inch deer. It's just incredible. But Dan, if you don't mind, um, you know, we, we like to dive right in here and don't do a lot of intro and sponsorship stuff and all that but dive in and kind of walk us through how you found this deer um and, and you know what your process was in in getting that buck cool. so uh start with the coffin buck um whew, it started in 2014 well that didn't work <laughs> okay Goodness. But either way, so um the Kaufman Buck started in 2014. Um a good friend of mine had come to me and he he asked me um he said, if I found us a good property, would you be interested in teaching me how to chase mature bucks and, and manage it with me? I was like, absolutely. You know, he's a good friend of mine, Josh, and uh, I've known him for years. He's big time goose hunter, um, you know, duck, geese, and he's always whitetail hunted, but just never really that serious. So he got this property and he got us permission to hunt it. And we were the only two allowed to hunt on it. And we started setting up stands. 
Um, here in Ohio, we can feed, so we started nutrition in the summertime, mineral. Um, How big of a property, seeing, Dan? How big was it? Uh, this property is roughly 250, almost 300 acres, maybe. Okay, yeah, good. Total. But you got to understand, this property is very hard to hunt, too. It's uh, out of that, let's let's call it 275 acres. Um, it's spotty. Like, you have a creek line that has woods on it. Um, here in Ohio, a lot of the flatlands, the farmers, they get rid of the trees and put crops in. Um, so it had spotty woods. So it seemed like no matter where you went on this farm to access this property, you know, it was just incredibly hard because a lot of these bucks, they knew that. That's that's why they were living there, because they knew that what they couldn't see, they could smell. So um, we started running mineral feed, started kind of getting account of what bucks. The property had great bucks on it. I mean, if I remember right, we had two or three deer on this property over 150, 160 inches right off the bat. Um, as a matter of fact, I remember I was hunting a buck called uh, uh, G3. I called him uh, right G3. And it's just because they're G3 split. That's what I call them, G3 split. It's because he had a G3 on his right side that was split. He's probably 165 inches. Actually, what ended up happening is early that first year, um, the neighbor killed him. Um, and I went on to hunt a different deer. So we get about probably into November, that that hunting season. And in the first year, we didn't get a lot of pictures of the Kaufman buck. Um, I, I would guess he was probably 200 inches a little over because his right side was messed up, that right main beam. I think he injured it in velvet, maybe. It looked like it had been, like, broke off in velvet or something. But either way, we get the first picture of him, and Josh comes to me, and he says, you got to see this. So he shows me the picture of it, and it's just a real blurry picture, but you can tell, like, that thing's a monster, you know, and he's got a lot of non-typical stuff going on there. But I told Josh, I said, well, you know, it's the rut. It's kind of what I like to call rut buck. You know, he's coming through. He looks the area. I said, more than likely, he'll come through. We may not ever see him again. He may decide to call it home. Who knows? I said, that's a good thing about having, you know, in Ohio where you can have feed and mineral out. When them deer come across there during the rut, you know, that sometimes you can get their attention with that feed and they'll come back late season. Well, sure enough, you know, like I said, we didn't see this deer all summer. And then, uh, and that's not to say he wasn't there, but we had a lot of cameras running. And then we seen him during the rut, and then he disappeared for a little while. After that picture, two weeks later, it was roughly two weeks later, I get another picture of him. And by this time, it's like, no, this is a good picture. We realized, wow, this is a monster. Now, the first year, we, you know, we didn't, obviously, he wasn't 300 inches. So it was a 200 inch deer. But regardless, <laughs> what, you know, we were after him, we were hard after him. And, um, you know, I've actually had people in the past say, man, how'd you pass him the first year? I said, well, it was easy. He didn't let me kill him. He would have never made a world record if he'd have gave me opportunity the first year. And uh, that first year, I mean, I hunted my heart out. I um, was running a bunch of cameras. I was trying to stay out of there. We were really paying attention to the wind. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, talk about, they say, could, did you ever imagine killing a 300-inch deer? And I said, no. I said, I only imagined ever killing a 200-inch deer. I never even considered a 300-inch deer. And, and the year I was hunting him when he was 200 inches, he was just as important to me as the year I killed him when he was 300 inches. I mean, that it was a big deal to me to hunt a 200-inch deer. And, um, you know, that's kind of why I come up with my 
my whole lo- slogan is dream big, hunt bigger. You know, it's, it's, you know, I, I only dreamed of a 200 inch deer, and, you know, God gave me the opportunity to, to shoot a 300, you know, so, sure. but either way that year, I mean, you know, it was, it was, uh, definitely bigger than I ever imagined. But, um, so that year he, he kept coming to the corn pile and, it, but he was nocturnal and even, on fence rows and everything. He was just very nocturnal. I knew come late season would be my best opportunity probably because we never seen him show up in the rut. You know, that we, the rut was pretty much over by the time he came back. So I knew once we get late season, we needed six inches of snow on the ground for about 10 days straight. And that deer would, he would be dependent on feed. You know, he would have to get to feed in the daylight to stay warm. So I just kept watching and backed out, stayed out. And Josh did the same thing. I think Josh seen him one time. Um, he was hunting a creek bank, and the deer got up out of a CRP field and trotted across the field and never seen him again. And it's, I think it's because the wind switched on him that day, and uh, that deer got his wind and, uh, on that CRP field. It bumped him a little bit. But um, so we hunted the rest of that season. Um, I want to say the first time he ever daylighted would have been. Um, January 3rd, 2014, I was stuck having to go to the ATA. And like any other year at the ATA, it was negative 15 degrees and six inches of snow on the ground. And everybody's there saying, why are we here? We need to be in the stand. Yeah, so um, sure enough, he daylights while I'm at the ATA. And, uh, you know, which, I, like I said, I knew I knew it was going to happen. And... Um, that was the last chance I had because when we got home, it, it got warmer and, you know, he just never did it again. And that's not to say he didn't come in downwind, you know, and he may have come in downwind if I was there and smelled me, who knows. But either way, so then the next step was, is said, you know, well, I couldn't kill him. And I've always been a big believer. If you can find a deer sheds, he's as good as dead next year. Because that tells, it can tell you so much about a deer, you know, where he's bed and where he's putting his core time how he's traveling. There's just so much information. So, well, sure enough, I found a shed, but it didn't really give me a lot of information. It, it, I happened to find it when I was feeding and, uh, I was at the time I was feeding roasted soybeans and corn and, uh, went in to throw a bag and could, would have stepped on it if I wouldn't have looked down. I mean, it was laying right there 10 yards off that pile. Um, so found that. And then the, the other, there, I got two sheds, two left sheds, and it was uh, another farmer from the year before that found that one. Um, so either way, after that, you know, I, I was I was glued on this deer next year, yeah. next season. It This next season starts right now it is kind of what my attitude was. And I started moving cameras around, and I actually figured out what deer this was without antlers on his head. And, and I mean, I got that serious about it, figured out what deer it is without antlers because I wanted to see how he traveled in the summertime too. Um, there was times where I would go up on the highest hill I could find in, in glass and, and try to find him. I never saw this buck one time until the night I killed him on the hoof. I got over 1,500 camp pictures of him, but I never one time seen him on the hoof until the night that I put an arrow in him. Now, I mean, you, you literally, I mean, from – from the time you found that shed until you killed him, were obsessed, possessed, and and that was oh, all you yes. did. Yeah, I remember going to Canada with Jeremy bear hunting, 
and Jeremy drove all the way up and I sat in the back of the truck and used, um, I can't remember what it was called at the time, a new app had come out to where you could transfer all your pictures and it would tell you how they were moving according to the moon phase, the daylight, I mean, everything. And I can't remember what it was, but I spent the whole trip up to Canada transferring all these pictures into that system to where I could get an idea. Do you think that helped you doing that? Um, no, not really. Because <laughs> but, but it was something to do. Yeah, it was. I mean, I was going to do anything. You know, I, I, I even like started asking. Like, I, I got to the point where I, I, I came – you know, I, I had a, a little come to Jesus meeting with myself. And, and, you know, I told myself, like, you know, I would be, you know, I, I would be hurting myself to think that I had the knowledge it's going to take to kill this deer. This is a once in a lifetime buck. I needed to grab every last bit of knowledge that I could, almost like I was studying for college, you know. Yeah. I mean, I went to my neighbor who I knew. You know, he's a big traditional hunter. He's real big into, uh, you, you know, the old school hunting of, of instead of feeding and, and you, you go look for the acorn trees and, and, you know, the trails and the saddles and, and figure out how these deer are moving. And he's taught me a lot over the years when it comes to that. Um, went to him and I, you know, I trusted him and I trusted Jeremy and, and uh, one other guy at my work that I trusted. And we just like put our brains together constantly talking about this deer. And I remember they all, they're, you're going to kill him, you're going to kill him. And I, the whole time I was like, I never thought I would kill this deer. Truly in my mind, I thought, who am I to be the one to have the opportunity to kill this deer? Like, I'm nobody, you know, it's like, who am I to win the lottery? Lottery is sure. easier to win, you know. It, it, it's, you know, I, I, I tried, you know, but my attitude was, is I'm going to bust my butt and learn as much as I can until this thing dies of old age or somebody else kills it. And then I'll move on with that knowledge. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that was the attitude I had. And, uh, but you know, it was constant. Like I would pick articles up. Uh, that's when I actually really started paying a lot of attention to, to, um, Don Higgins and, um, you know, Adam Hayes and all these guys that I know have killed big bucks in the past and, and, and uh, have really, focused hard on big mature not so much big but mature animals mature deer i knew this was a six seven year old buck obviously but um so i mean yeah and i got to the point where i put a cork board uh the map i, I went and had to map expanded and had a cork board and i had red pins if somebody told me they seen him cross the road somewhere i'd say well exactly where and they'd tell me and i'd put the red pin there if I had trail camera picture, a red pen with an arrow pointing which direction and the date. And then I would go back and try to figure out the wind direction and then write the wind directions on that cork board. And then I would, every time I'd get a trail camera picture of him, red pen, arrow, the wind direction. And I'd try to look at the red moon and the moon phase and in everything. I tried to, you know, I had a little notes written on it and everything and, so basically, at the end of the day, what I think truly helped me the most, and I'm, I'm actually ashamed of myself that I haven't done this for other deer, because I probably truly would have killed more deer than I went after if I put the same amount of time in that I put in this buck. But that cork board, what it did was I had, like I said, every place, if, I, if it was a bed, it had a, 
a white pen. If it was black, it, had a, it was a tree stand. If, if it was a red pen, it's where he had been seen or a trail camera, arrows. But when you really step back and looked at that board, on that whole, that whole property, he was only traveling about 80 acres of that farm. Like literally, I had 20 cameras by the end of this on that whole 80 acre for 15 or 20, somewhere in between there. Um, on that, that 80 acres of that farm and really didn't do much with the rest of it. And, but I could see his core area with them red pins. When I stepped back and looked at it, I could see where most of his time was spent. And then when I did that, you get, get closer to the border. Then you can start looking, well, wait a minute. These two wind directions are the only time that he crosses this camera, which tells me he's probably coming from this bed because why would he come from this bed? Cause then he wouldn't have the wind. So it kind of, you know, like the fact that, okay, I got two wind directions from here. Well, it eliminates what, you know, as long as he's doing what you think he's doing, like we all know, they all have different personalities just because sure. his old don't mean he's smart. But um, obviously he's smart, you know, for a deer his age, seven years old to get 300 inches means three years prior to that, he was over 200 inches, which I'm guessing at three years old, this deer was, 160 170 inches so this deer has been avoiding hunters from the time he was probably two and a half three years old yeah. all the way to seven so there's no denying that he's pretty smart you know i mean he had to figure it out or he'd have been dead a long time ago right but um so i was you know assuming that you know if he's if he's using the wind and he's protecting himself with the wind and he's crossed this trail camera with these winds then i can assume that he probably didn't come from this bed when he was seen there. And what that did was it told me when season came in, it told me that if I got him on this trail camera at 5 a.m. and I had this wind from the past, it told me I almost kind of had a really good idea of where he was bedding that next day. So like there were times when I know for a fact that I knew where the deer was bedding all day long and there wasn't nothing I could do about it because like I said every time I could figure it out it was it was um like he, he had to either he could see across the property or he could smell you know he had the wind or he had his eyesight and, and the access to the property was hard um there was one time where he was actually bedding in a, in the middle of the bean field with a where there's a swell and I know this because of the camera pictures I got and where he came from, it, as long as he did what I figured he was doing and was using the wind, there was really nowhere else he could have came from but the middle of that bean field. <laughs> and, and where he came out was the top of that swell. So that told me, like, I'll bet you anything, he's bedding right down in the middle of that bean field in that swell. And you know, like I said, nothing I could do about it. So what ended up, um, so with that being said, in the access, what ended up happening is when I figured out this core area, I kind of had a good idea where I had to hunt, where I wanted. Dan, let's back up for just a second. You, you, so you're, you're, he loses his horns that first year, 2014. You're, you're actually yep. staying on top of him the entire spring, summer, you're watching him basically grow. 
And and when he put on yes. another hundred inches of antler, I mean, you're watching oh, this happen. Yes. I mean, you have to be freaking out. I remember May fifth. I'm almost positive that's the date, May fifth. Um, that's the two dates that I always seem to remember is May fifth and October twenty sixth was the date I killed him. Or the date I put an arrow in him, and then uh, May fifth was the first time I seen him pop velvet. And it looked like he had two pop cans sticking out of his head. I mean, it was just literally two pop cans just in there about like this sticking right out of his head. And I was like, holy crap. And watching him, I would say by June, I knew that, oh, my goodness, this deer's it's way crazy. bigger than he was last year. Yes. And then once he pretty much finished out, it, then it was like. Well, this is different than a two hundred inch deer, you know. This is this is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. an extra hundred inches of antler. Yeah, exactly. And and I actually a buddy of mine, Dan Gross, he uh he um I sent him about five or six pictures of it because good friend of mine, I trust him, and I he's really good at you know putting deer down on paper and and getting a score on them, and just with pictures. And uh, he came back, and I want to say. His papers now, granted, he was a little different, like, like maybe this time he had it seven, but it was actually eight, and this time it was eight and it was actually seven, but he was like an inch away, like wow. maybe two inches away. Like, he had it pegged. We knew that this deer could very easily be number one bow kill in the world. Yeah, um, we knew it was right there, it was either going to be number one or number two. So, I mean, we knew that. From the time he was basically hard horned, we knew that. Like it wasn't, you know, it was it, it was to the point where I called the game warden and told him, I said, Look, I said, you know, I'm already filming in the hunting industry. I kind of know a lot some of the things that come along with if this did ever happen. I said, Why don't you give me your cell phone number? I'm hunting a deer that, you know, you're probably gonna be investigating anyways. <laughs> So give me your cell phone number, and if I do get lucky enough to harvest this deer, I said, I'll leave him as he lays. You come investigate the footage, the permission slips, the blood trail, everything about it. I want you to clear my name before this even starts. And, uh, yeah, he, he says, well, you're kind of making me nervous. <laughs> he said, how big is this deer? And I said, it's big. And he goes, well, just tell me. He goes, I ain't going to tell nobody. I said, well. I said, I, I, I haven't told anybody. And uh, he said, I won't, I promise you, I won't tell anybody. I said, I think it's 300 inches or more. And he's like, he said, bull crap. <laughs> you know, he's, he's right away. He's like, no way. I said, well, I'm good with you thinking that. I said, <laughs> I said, I'm fine with that. I said, maybe he's only 200, <laughs> you know, like yeah. take what you want. But so he actually ended up, he told me, he said, well, send me a picture. And I said, that won't happen. I said, I, I said, I will not send you a picture. I said, if I, see you out or, or, you know, you come to my house. I said, I won't even put cell phone pictures or I won't even put pictures on my cell phone because I fear that I was going to show somebody, you know, and I didn't want to show nobody. So, um, I don't think I ever even showed him and he kind of just wrote it off and he said, well, <coughs> excuse me. He said, I'll give you my phone number. He goes, but don't call me for stupid stuff. He goes, you know, just, this is my personal number. And I said, okay, I appreciate it. And I never called him for anything. Well, when the day it happened, he 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 about he he, he realized that he was wrong. <laughs> yeah. He, um, 
But either way, go back. So yeah, I didn't, I didn't mean to derail you. I just wanted no, to set that stage. But yeah, okay. So but, so go ahead. Yeah. So we knew this buck was. He, we knew what he was. You know, and uh, it was crazy because you know, then he got hard horned, and then boom, no more daylights. I mean, it shut down then. Like he daylighted during the summer. He hard horned, and you know how it is. It's almost like they, you know, velvet's an intelligent blocker, and then as soon as that blocker comes off the horns these things get intelligent again and you know it's dark but um so either way i just sat back and watched them um what i did end up doing is knowing the access i did two things there was an old driveway that went back to a house that was no longer there on this property and this driveway kind of went down in like that so like it was a hill on both sides to get to drain the water off of it i'm sure and that allowed me to be able to travel that because I had a good feeling that he wasn't, nothing was bedding in there um, because it's just not really a good place for bedding the way it sits. So it, it's probably about, that driveway was probably 200 yards long. And there was trees all over it falling and everything else. And um, I had to actually go through there with little cutters and kind of move stuff and cut my way through it and made a little trail that literally on, at times I was on my hands and knees going under logs and it would take me I bet you'd take me an hour to yeah 45 minutes to an hour to get to my stand accessing it like this but I knew that that was the only way I was going to get out to that point where he crossed there so um that's what I did I mean it, it got to the point where and I was so worried about scent that because there was one spot in there where he would cross that crossing spot though I knew that I would never get a shot at him because it was always nighttime movement and where it was it just i'd never seen a deer move in the daylight it was close enough to the road that i just don't in, in the back of houses that i don't think that he would have ever used it in the daylight um but i hung a stand up at there because it was a high point too and i could see a lot of the farm from it and it was just an observation stand is all it was I only hunted that deer in 2015. I hunted him four times. Two of those times was out of an observation stand that I knew I, you know, that I was 99% sure I would never kill him out of that observation stand. Um, one of the other things I did too was speaking of the houses, I knocked on all the neighbors' doors around that area and basically told them, I said, I'm hunting a deer that's real important to me. If I killed it and it went on your property, would I have your permission to? recover the deer on your property and uh all of them said yes nobody had any problem with it um, that's good you know most, some of them even gave me a permission slip right there so took care of that and then really it, what it came down to was you know we were getting closer to the rut he still wasn't daylighting but there was a couple times where i caught him on camera just at the very edge of daylight i mean like five minutes after dark and after that i was talking to my neighbor sean and i, I looked at him and i said he's so close but i've had him this close before to where he's almost daylighting and he just goes back and forth but he never shows up in the daylight and um sean actually he's the one that comes with the idea he goes man have you considered just and he's not a real big advocate of it either, but he said, have you considered, you know, going to that stand at the point where you have it, 
you know he's crossing there. And he said, just rattling, grunting, doing some bleats, you know, even put some estrus out. Make a bunch of noise just to see if you can get, you know, it's that time of year, last week, October. See if you can get him out of his bed five minutes early just to have an opportunity. And I kind of laughed and I said, well, it'd be worth a shot. That's for sure. And uh, so then it was just a day or two later, um, we got a picture of him coming out of the CRP field, um, licking on a mineral lick and then walking right back in that CRP field. Well, to kind of give you an idea, that CRP field is on the northeast side. Of, I'm sorry, the southeast side of the property. And the by this time, crops were down. It already had the crops down. So I knew the great thing about the corn being down was that limited his bedding. That limited him on that property. So, so the bad thing about the property with it being the access part is it's hard to access it. The good part about it was it limits where they can bed. So if you know they're on the property, you know, well, there's only four or five different places they could be bedded up. Now, that don't mean they couldn't be bedded up on a creek line or something like that. But I had a pretty good idea that he wasn't bedding up on them tree lines or creek lines because I didn't even so much all the times going on and off that farm never even jumped the deer. And to me, if he would have been bedded up on a creek line or been doing that, I would have seen him. I would have sure. jumped him out of there. That told me he was bedded in thicker stuff to where he could get out of there quietly. So I knew that when he come out of that CRP field, it's kind of like a wetlands too. But, uh, you know, I said, well, that's perfect because he's bedded on the southeast side of the farm. And like I said, you got that other thicket on the southwest side. But we have a wind coming out of the northeast tonight. So that gives him a crosswind. And that crosswind... We had a cold front coming in. It was October 26th, cold front coming in, wind coming out of the northeast. And that crosswind, according to where my stand was, was typically how he would come over to that point where them trees met. And then I don't really know where he would go from there, but that's where he came to. Well, so I'm thinking, oh, this is a perfect night. And, you know, thinking I'm going to go in there and do exactly what me and Sean talked about. So. I snuck in there and uh, got my, and that's kind of how I hooked up with Deer Society and everything is I was using the black rack and stuff and got snuck in there and sprayed some estrus down the tree line as I was going down through there. Got up in my stand, I settled in, let it sit for a couple hours because obviously with a deer like this, you know, I was in my stand by one o'clock when I didn't need to be in there till 3.30, <laughs> but uh, kind of let things settle down. I think it, sometime maybe around 3, 3.30, I uh, rattled a little bit, and uh, I had two little bucks come down right in front of me, and they sparred around a little bit, and they were kind of looking around. I'm sure they smelled out of the estrus. And after they left, I thought, okay, well, pick it up a little bit more. I rattled a little louder, used grunt tube, did kind of like a roar grunt. I just kind of learned about the whole roar grunt, a um, couple bleeps, and just sat down for another hour. And then I'd say right about, I think it was like about an hour before dark, um, I decided, you know what, I'm going to lay into it. And I hit the black rack. I hit it as hard as I could. I mean, I made as much noise as I possibly could. I did a couple real loud roar grunts. 
I bleed it a couple times. I had that asterisk. I sprayed it a bunch. And then I thought, you know what? I either just ruined my hunt or I'm going to make something happen. And um, I'm sitting there and, and it's getting dusk. And I'd say we probably got 10, 15 minutes left of daylight. And I'm thinking, well, this ain't going to happen tonight. Which, like I said, that's kind of what I expected. Well, about that time, I look up across the field, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe my eyes. I was like, holy crap. And at first, I was just in awe. Like, it's the first time I've seen this deer. And uh, like I said, it was dusky. So it was probably a good thing. It's funny. It's giving me the chills. Remember? Yeah, it. me too. Yeah. Evan's it's over like, here shaking. <laughs> buck fever. But uh, I remember um, seeing the deer, and it's probably a good thing that it wasn't broad daylight. Because I think the fact that I couldn't see him real great is what helped me hold my composure. Plus, yeah. I had a camera to run and everything else. So I, um, I, I couldn't honestly say if I remembered. I don't think I bleeded or grunted anymore after that. I think I just shut it down after that and got prepared. Um, and I, I think a lot of that is, is because I knew. I think I felt like subconsciously i feel like i knew this deer so well yeah. it, even after i found him it was kind of i don't even know how to say it it was it was a deer that i knew better than any deer i've ever hunted still to this day um i remember thinking goodness he's a legend this deer's amazing you know this not just the fact that he's rack but like wow i studied this deer he was so smart like you know he finally made one mistake you know, and I don't even know anybody that had a daylight picture of them other than in the summertime. Right. But regardless, so going back, um, I kind of, I don't think I did anything else because I knew the direction he was going to take. Well, another thing going back to is keep in mind, I told you we have a Northeast wind and I thought he was better than the CRP field, but he's not, he's bedded on a Northwest or the Southwest side of the property in the other thicket. Sometime across that in that morning, he got up and crossed that field. So at five, six o'clock in the morning, he came out to that mineral, went back in that CRP field, but then obviously probably before daylight, decided to cross over to this thicket. Truth be known, if I would have known he was better than that thicket, never would have set foot in that stand with a northeast wind because my wind was blowing right at him. Like I would have never hunted that deer. And I don't know. You know, obviously, like, you've seen those Onyx commercials. I had those Onyx above me. Obviously, I was very good with my scent. I was very strict with my scent. And it was October 26th. I don't know if it was the Onyx. I don't know if it was the fact that I was great with my scent control. I don't know if it was the fact that, you know, it was October 26th. And like every other buck, he had one thing on his mind or just a combination of all three. But I got lucky. He was 100% downwind. With probably a seven, eight mile an hour breeze. Um, actually, when it got close to dark, I, if I remember right, I think I talked about thermals a lot, which he had thermals too. I mean, the thermals were going right down to him as well. So regardless, he would have had me pegged. Yet, he came across that field like he was on a fishing string. Like, sit there, like I was sitting there like that and came right across. And there was a tree. We never found a tree that we thought he had rubbed when he rubbed his velvet off, 
but there was a tree and I don't know what it was. It wasn't a crab apple, but it has branches kind of like a crab apple, just a bunch of little limbs everywhere. And this tree on one side was just rubbed raw on the branches. Like he just raked his rack up and down it. And I think that's how he got his velvet off. That's, that's how he rubbed. Because if you think about it, he really couldn't get the way his antlers were. He could never get a, you know, much of a tree in between his antlers. I mean, it, just because there was so much stuff going everywhere with the, yeah. the brow cones and everything. But um, he stopped at that tree and did exactly what we thought he was doing. He was just raking his antlers up and oh down. Oh, my the gosh. And, yep. And um, it, it wasn't daylight enough to really see a reaction as far as, like, um, I did see him um, lip curl one time when he was real close. But, like, as far as, like, hair standing on his back of his neck or anything like that, he wasn't really close. It wasn't really light enough to be able to see that. I mean, we were getting down to the last minutes. Matter of fact, so it was seven minutes of shooting time left when I finally got to put an arrow in him. Um, so he, he comes from that tree, and he comes right at me, right in front of me. And at this point, I'm standing and... Believe it or not, I wasn't shaking. I, I think it was I had too much to do. I had the camera to run. It, and I think it was dusky. Honestly, like, I don't even know if I looked at his antlers once I realized it was him. I think I was focused on his body. Like, I think I knew that I couldn't look at them antlers. Well, he usually, like, when he would get to the tree line that I was in, he would cut right and go down that tree line. But... Remember me telling you how, like, the wind was off and for that thicket. So, but either way, if you know, he still had the wind, but just not, it wouldn't have been a great wind. But either way, when he got to that tree line, he was 30 yards in front of me and he acted like he wanted to go through the tree line in front of me instead of turning right and coming right by me. So I got my bow, like, pressure pulled, like, I'm sitting there thinking, What's he going to do? Like, I do not want to take a 30-yard shot. Even in an open field, I don't want to take a 30-yard shot on this deer. I want a 10-yard shot. Sure. <laughs> and um, so I'm thinking, you know, we've all been there. And I remember this very clearly. My mindset was, how many times have you flung an arrow at a deer and kicked yourself for the next two months saying, why did I not have more patience and take my time and do that right. I've done it. I think every bow hunter. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's all I can think is is having to relive that in my life over and over and over again. It, and I waited and I waited and I thought, as soon as he takes starts to take a step forward, I'm going to draw back and and I'm just going to stop him. You know, make noise, which I don't usually do, but I'm going to stop him and then put the pin on him and let go. But then he finally kind of looks over to the right, and I'm thinking, oh, and then he cuts to the right. And, of course, you know, I was so relieved when he did that because now he's, he's going to come 10 yards right beside me. And uh, when he came right beside me, I drew back. And, uh, unfortunately, he, he did walk out of the camera before, uh, you know, the shot. Which you, you can hear the shot, and you can see his body during the shot, and you see him running away with a blue knock stick out of him. But um, it, And I won't lie, like, that that wasn't a moment in my life where I took a pin and put it at the shoulder and went back a little bit and up a little bit. Like I center mass that deer. Like 
honestly, I remember like when I was done thinking I didn't even really aim at that deer. I, I shot for center mass at his body. Like I, and I don't, you know, I suppose just nerves, something went wrong, obviously, you know, um, but I didn't, I did not focus on a great shot on that deer. I pulled back, put the pin center mass and shot the deer. And, uh, luckily it was a good enough shot. Now it did take, uh, you know, I watched the deer walk, run away that night, um, with the arrow sticking out of him, had it on film and didn't look like I had a lot of penetration. It was, oh my goodness. Oh my God. Horrible. Man. So, uh, this is getting I called, better, and better by the second. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I called my best friend, Jeremy. I said, Jeremy, I shot him. He goes, no, you didn't. He's like, hey, I'll, I'll be there to pick you up. Dan Gross, a friend of ours, had killed like a nice deer, like 168 inches or something like that. And we were going to go look at it and, um, and say, hey, him, that night, and Jeremy was supposed to pick me up. Well, when he, I called him, and I said, I, I just shot him, man. And he goes, no, you didn't. And I'm sure he said a few choice other words. And I said, no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Get out here. Help me get out of this tree stand. I'm literally hugging my, my seat right now. I, I'm shaking so bad. Once I shot him and put an air in him, I went into like a full-blown panic attack. Like oh I couldn't, gosh. like, like I was shaking. I couldn't breathe. I literally got to the point, even though I was strapped in and harnessed in, I literally like kneeled down on my stand and, and held onto my seat. Interesting. <laughs> gosh. Um, yeah. So it took a long time to get calmed down. I finally get calmed down. And um, Jeremy's not there yet. And the funniest thing ever, I don't know what I was thinking. I don't think I cared, but it looked like it was dark by this time, obviously. It looked like a yard sale. Now, any other time I would have left most of my stuff in the tree. For some reason, I don't know what I did, but I just started flinging stuff. Like I took my camera arm, put my camera in my backpack. I took my camera arm and just threw it on the ground out of the tree, took my base, threw it on the ground out of the tree and basically stripped everything out of this tree, but the stand and the sticks and just threw it on the ground. Like I'll get it when I get down there. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if it was just like I had to get out of that tree or, or what it was. And I was only 50 feet up. <laughs> I mean, but you know, cause that tree, I couldn't get any higher um, where I had to be. There wasn't any good trees in there. It was a horrible tree to be in uncomfortable, like bent over, I mean, it was not a good tree, but um, regardless, so then I get down and Jeremy's telling me to the phone, he's like, do not listen. Don't even look for the first drop of blood. We're sitting this one out till tomorrow morning. I said, well, I, I want to see first blood at least. He said, no, don't even look at the first blood. You know, you didn't have a pass through. We'll go back tomorrow morning. I said, okay, I'll see you when you get here. So I think that's part of the reason I wanted to get down in a hurry because I knew he would hold me back. Yeah. <laughs> been a smarter thing to do. But I'm like, no, I, it's a cornfield. I want to see first blood. I want to see, are there bubbles in it? What's in it? And, um, of course, I walk out in the field, and the first 40, 50 yards, there's no blood. So then I finally find blood, and I'm like, okay. So then I see blood. I'm like, ah, man, this ain't good blood. So I go back. And you gotta think I, I go 40, 50 yards out in the field, but the, the 40, 50 yards, like I, I go from the stand, I'd be going south. And then, but he ran southwest into that other thicket. So, but there's a tree line in between that thicket 
where the thicket is, and then there's a tree line right here, and then I'm hunting at the end of this tree line right here. Well, he runs like that and up like that. So I just went 50 yards out here and looked around. Well, the next, that night, obviously we backed out. We went back. We looked at the um, film 200 times. Yeah. We realized that, all right, it seems like I got good penetration into the body. We're not 100% sure on how great the shot is, but we're also looking at it like it, more than likely there's a gut, there's gut in there. There's, you definitely got gut. It probably maybe lung, but he's dead. This deer's gonna die. So um, we backed out. So I, it wasn't enough for me. Me and Jeremy ended up getting in his jeep and went to the top of the hill of the farm. It was a full moon out that night, and we sat there with uh, binoculars and watched deer across fields all night looking for a blue knock. Just want to find a deer with a blue knock. Thinking if we can see where it beds or goes or wherever it is. You know, it'll give us a hint in the morning. Of course, we're looking at the radar, and there's rain coming at daybreak. Oh, gosh. Yeah. So, immediately, we're calling friends with dogs. Like, hey, you know, we finally find one that we trust. But we didn't want to tell anybody about it because, goodness, we didn't want somebody else just going out and finding this deer. Like, say, a property owner that it butts up against or something like that. Like, we dead secret about it. Didn't tell a soul. And um, I actually made the mistake of not telling Josh, which it wasn't that I didn't want him to know or didn't trust him. It was that I knew he was at work and it was like, there was so much going on. Sure. And um, <laughs> of course he was, I think he was a little offended. <laughs> Poor guy. I was like, you know, I, 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 uh, I talked to him into feel, out of feeling too bad, but <laughs> told him, I said, man, there's just so much going on. But the next day after he got off work, he actually brought us out Gatorades and food because that next morning, a guy with dogs came in. The dogs never found the deer. Um, we had to get permission from another property. Me and Jeremy covered that whole farm, 55 and rainy, side by side. It took literally from morning time until right before dark that night. And we were exhausted. He missed his boy's ball game. I mean, it was just horrible, like no blood. Couldn't find it. Knew the direction. Oh, going back, we did find the first bed. This is what told us this is dead. We never found an arrow. We found the first bed in that tree line. So if I would have just done what he told me to and got out of my stand and just walked backwards out of there, then that deer would have probably been laying in that tree line yep. in the morning. 100%. Now, with that being said, I wouldn't change it for the world because the memories made that day between me and Jeremy – you just you there's nothing you, you can't i'll take that any day i mean yeah. for what it took that's what made it that's what made it like um people will ask us like man i bet you felt lucky you found it and we're like nope feel lucky we weren't gonna stop until we did we knew it wasn't dead we knew it was dead we couldn't find an arrow we found the first bed within 80 yards that i bumped him out of like your bed's down that fast you know that you probably got gut you know he's dead there's no doubt now it's a matter of where is he, you know? So we looked all day long and um, totally exhausted. And at the end of the day, Jeremy's like, well, you know, we can put some feed down. I'll go get some of my cameras, get some extra cameras, put them out, see if we can get them on camera. I said, okay. And um, we, um, what was it? We, I finally said, well, hold on a second. There's a 
20 acre lot that bucks up against this thicket. Now, granted, they ride their four wheelers in there all the time. There's big trails through there. I've never had a deer come out of the woods. And there's houses that butts right up against it. So we thought that deer didn't go in there, right? But I told Jeremy, I said, you know what? We've looked everywhere else and all the effort we've put into this, it wouldn't take us but 20 minutes to cover that whole property if we can get permission. And he's like, you're right, let's go do it. So um, we called the landowner and he gave us permission. And the guy that he actually lives next door to him that he rents off of, he come out and helped us. We, we walked back 80 yards from the back of his barn. And um, I Jeremy covered the high side. I covered the middle. And the guy that was in the renter, he, he hunts too. But I had him cover the lower because it wasn't a stick and he wasn't in hunting clothes. So um, get about halfway through and Jeremy goes, he falls. Like, and I, I obviously we're side by side. We're staying close. Like, we're not letting anything, we're not going to miss anything. And, um. I tell Jeremy, I said, um, Jeremy, he falls and he says, oh, man, I broke your camera. And I said, I, I don't care. And he said, no, seriously, I shattered the lens, man. I said, Jeremy, I really don't care. And I didn't. I didn't. Like, yeah. I was so down. I didn't care. And he's like, no, come look at this camera. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And I turn around, I walk back and he's filming me. And I look down, I'm like, oh, my God, very late. Jeremy wanted to, get, he wanted to get the real reaction. He didn't want to say, hey, your deer's over here. He wanted me to walk up on it and see it. And, uh, of course, I jumped down, and I started looking at it and counting. And, uh, I mean, it was surreal. I mean, it was surreal. Like, uh, first I started throwing the F-bomb left and right, and Jeremy's like, Dan, Dan, the camera, camera. Like, oh, <laughs> A bleep <laughs> fest. Yeah, I was like, I couldn't control myself, you know. It, it was it was crazy but um either way so you know we did that of course we called the game warden right away um he come right out he looked at the footage obviously there was no blood trail um check you know permission slips and all that basically took care of that that's actually why i ended up on the front of the regs magazine um in 2016 they put me my buck and the game warden on the front of the regs magazine because they knew they they said that Usually they wouldn't do that with a world record like that because you find out five years later that it was poached or You're something wrong, you know, and then it makes our DNR look bad. So they don't want nothing to do with that. So, um, but being as it was all in the clear from the get go, they were cool with it. And they said, and I, and I told them like, that's probably the most, that, that's probably the proudest thing I had. The, the fact that ODNR put me on the front of the rakes book because that, you know, Whitetail, North American Whitetail, and all that. Like, that's one thing, but ODNR does it. Like, that says something to me. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, so, um, when you killed him, he was the he was the world record bow kill when you killed him. No, he was number two. Number two. Um, he ended up was was four inches less than the baby, four and some change less than the Mike Brady buck. He was number one ever put on video. Yeah, uh, not number one shot on video because the shot wasn't technically on video. But he was number one ever, biggest ever put on video, number two biggest ever killed with a bow. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was. Um, That's insane. Yeah, it was definitely a, uh, it was a game changer in my hunting life. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was always an avid hunter. But it, it, it honestly, it like 
sent me to a new level. Like it just sent yeah, me. That, that's what I, that's what I was going to you know follow up with. I know we're we're closing in on an hour here, but but something that that I wanted to you know dive into before we shut this down is what what would you say you know the the lessons I guess you learned or you know the, something that we always preach here is when you find a deer you want to hunt, it doesn't matter if he's a, a 120 or a 160, depending on what part of the country you're in, you should treat it like it's a 200. You should treat it like it's a world record deer. What, what, what would you, you know, if you want to consistently be successful, what, what would you say, you know, the lessons and how that changed your game and your approach to deer that you're hunting now, because you're hunting, you know, Boone and Crockett bucks, five, six, seven year old bucks now every single year. You're, you're getting in the game now. Now, the, the chances of getting on another 300 are, are, are slim to Pretty none, slim. But, 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 you know, another Boone and Crockett or, or more Boone and Crockett's, because I know you've killed some 180-inch deer and some other really big ones. Mm -hmm. But take us through that real quick, Dan, on, on, you know, the lessons you've learned or what you've passed to other guys. So one of the two biggest lessons that I took from that deer, well, and to go back one more thing, because this kind of reminded me of it is, camaraderie um jeremy called me on christmas that year and he said hey meet me at roosters i got a christmas gift for you he said it ain't nothing big but uh, i got something for you i said okay so i show up and he's got a picture frame and it says october 27th 2015 which is the day we found him and it says true grit and it has a leaf with blood on it it was the first blood. It was the leaf of the first awesome dot of blood found. He thought that day to pick him up. Yes. It was, like I said, gives me chills. So, oh, that's and that's, really that's cool. kind of, yeah. Then that's where I get at with the whole camaraderie thing is for years, uh, I would say five or six years, I grew up hunting with my family, big family into hunting. 10 guys on a 300 acre property that we leased, you know, everybody yep. complaining that so and so's riding a squad over here and this and that. And everybody wants to kill a big buck, right? But there's too many people on the property. And I got to the point where I'm like, you know, if I really, truly want to get out for chasing these giants, I got to get away from all this. I need to have properties that nobody else has access to. And I got to a point where I secluded myself from everybody. I quit talking to my friends about it. I quit sharing information because I knew that, like, if I really, truly want to kill these monsters, like, I got to keep quiet about this. I don't want somebody to you know, take advantage of me. I don't want somebody to fence line me or ruin a chance for me. So I kept it to myself. And I did that for five or six years. And then I killed this buck. And I spent a good year um, going through, you know, uh, you, most people couldn't even imagine. The, 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 as much as it's very enjoyable, there's a lot of stress behind it. A lot of things change um, as far as just, it's very enjoyable, but there's a lot of stress behind it, too. Let's just say that. And I can tell you this. If you took everything that came from that buck and put it in your right hand, and you took all the camaraderie that comes out of hunting and never killing that buck, this left hand will always outweigh this. That buck was great. It was a cool thing. What it allowed me to do was I have nothing to prove anymore. I I feel like before this buck, I felt like I was proving something to everybody. And I couldn't talk about my deer. I couldn't talk about my hunt, share my stories. 
and I had something to prove. Well, when I killed this deer, it was kind of like there's nothing else to prove. Out of my friends and family, nobody's more than likely, I mean, I hope they do, but I doubt they will ever kill a bigger deer than I've killed. So when it comes to that competitiveness out of us, you know, and, and we can't deny there's competition in hunting. We wouldn't keep track of scores if there wasn't. Sure. We all have a competitive side. It's a sport. And, um, you know, and even though we all agree, and I'm a big advocate on a trophy is in the eye of the beholder. I mean, if you shot it, it's a trophy. There, there's no doubt about it, and you need to treat it like a trophy. And, and that whole, you know, that small, too young stuff, it just needs to stop, you know, because yeah. we're not – hunters should not be hunting for other people. You hunt for yourself, your own self-preservation. And, and you should be enjoying it. That's what you work every day for. That's to, to go out and enjoy hunting. So I guess the big thing is, is I'm finally at a point in my life where I actually enjoy hunting more. I, 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 uh, I enjoy being around people, hunting with people, sharing the stories, telling them. I tell everybody about my big deer, a deer that back in the day I wouldn't have told a soul about. I tell people about my deer that don't tell me about their deer. <laughs> and I understand sure. where they're coming from because I've been there. But it, it's like I have – it taught me that, I guess. I think it taught me that that the camaraderie of hunting is is way bigger than anything you feel like you have to prove. It, it, it's just – it's there's so much that that can be enjoyed if you let it you know, and try to trust people. And, and I know that you'll get burnt. There's times people will get burnt and, uh, and obviously everybody has to kind of go down their own path, but, uh, it made it more enjoyable for me to, to be able to do that. Um, and, and be able to share it. Uh, yeah, no, that's awesome, man. Well, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. You know, um, it, just a, a world-class animal, the number two, when you killed it, largest whitetail ever killed with a bow. I mean, that's, that's insane yeah. and and the effort that that went into it and then you know it, it just it, it's it's an experience you know basically you could say nobody's going to go through you know 99.999 percent of the people are not going to go through that but you know you, you can make it relative where you know, in South Carolina, in Florida, you know, you, you find the, the 120, you know, you, you've, you've been killing a yes. hundred inch deer and you find the 120 and the, it can happen. You can close the deal if you work hard Absolutely. at it, if you stay after it, if you really obsess over all the details and, and you know, that that's the, the game we detail like to play. The, the one thing you just nailed is the other thing is detail orientation. I mean, that's one of the other things that taught me is the fact that, the, you know, when you're after a buck, the more detail-oriented you can be, the more, um, how do I put it, OCD about everything that you can be. If if you think, you know, it, it, let's give an example. You're hunting a deer and you're doing the same thing over and over again, but he's not showing. He's not showing. Shows up on camera in the daylight when you're not there, but then you go hunt him and he don't show up. You got to really start thinking in your head, like, is this deer hunting me? Like, so, you know, and you think, well, maybe it's my access. And you think to yourself, well, where could I walk? Where could I access this property that guarantees this deer won't see me? Oh, goodness, that's three miles. Walk three miles, you'll kill him. 
Yeah. I mean, it, this, this is the truth. It, it's, you know, there was a time that I was after a big buck and I ended up killing him. And, uh, but he was 200 inches. And I literally hunched down for 300 yards, probably 300 feet at least, 100 yards, and walked across this field, hunched down to, to allow a hill to cover me and got back there and seen the deer that night. <laughs> and, and it's like, it, it don't, you know, like, yeah, and that's the one thing I look back on this deer. I was very detail oriented every single thing I did to the point where I'd set my cameras up where I could do everything right up a side by side. I didn't step foot on the ground. I would literally, when I went to go dump corn or feed, I would literally swing around and jump to the bed of my side by side to where my feet didn't touch the ground and dump corn out of it. Um, when I went to walk back in my hunting clothes to go hunting, I would literally my all my life I've hunted with my pant legs inside of my boots. I don't know if it's because I thought it looked cooler or what, but you know, what I learned about when I, when I was hunting, I realized, you know, I'm going to get my pant legs all sweaty walking. And then when I sit down, my pant legs are going to come out of my boots about three, four inches. Well, then that sweat mark around there is smell. So I'm like, you know, I got very, um, well, okay. Um, got very serious about that and said, okay, I'm going to start putting my pant legs over my boots. So then when I put my pant legs over my boots, then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm going to walk through the brush and, and my pant legs my, are going to scrape the brush instead of my rubber boots and leave scent on the brush. So then I would hike my pant legs up, oh, like past my boot to where they were kind of laying on top of my boot, walk to the stand. And then when I got to the stand, put them back down over my boot. And, and I guess... To some people, that may sound crazy, but truly, the more detail-oriented you can be, the more you know, thoughtful you can be on every step. These deer are smart. I mean, me and you talked about it. If you don't think Mother Nature, we will never. Mother Nature is way smarter than we'll ever be. We'll never figure it out. A deer is like me and you talked about this. Deer is born without scent, so it can protect itself from coyotes. Now, that deer just came out of a body. <laughs> it came out of its mom's body, and it doesn't smell. It, it, you know, that, Mother Nature is that smart. Oh, yeah. If we think that we've touched the beginning of what Mother Nature has to offer, we're, we're, forget, we're, we're lost, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, you know, there's, there's never – that's the great thing about hunting is the, the two greatest things about hunting is, is you know – Two guys can go out and hunt, and one guy can put in 110%, and this guy can put in 20%. Well, this guy will get just as much enjoyment with 20% as this guy does with 110%, because it's all on mindset. He's enjoying what he's doing. But this guy that puts 110, nine times out of 10, will reap the benefits of his work just sure. as much as he put in. Where this guy will only reap the benefits of what he put in, but he still enjoys those benefits. He's still yeah. going to enjoy what he reaps because it's what he wants to do. And that, you know, the, I think it, the great thing about kids is it teaches them like you put the work in and you'll get out of what you put in, you know? Yeah, no, no um, doubt, man. I mean, it's the, the, the details absolutely matter and it takes what it takes. You got to work hard at it no matter what. There are no shortcuts. Um, you can get lucky, but to consistently kill these big mature deer, it, it takes the effort. It takes staying persistent. And every detail absolutely matters. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Dan, man, thank you. Thank, thank you so much for being on today. I know we're, we're a little oh, over an hour. So, so buddy, I really appreciate it. And, um, I might be hitting you up late season after you get one knocked down because I absolutely itch to get back up there in God's country where you live. You're welcome anytime. <laughs> well, buddy, I absolutely. appreciate it, man. Thank you again. Yep. Yep. Thank you. We'll see All you right, guys buddy. later. We'll talk you to you soon. All right. See you, hey, pal.